As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. And welcome to another episode of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health. I know we took a little bit of a reprieve last week, a little bit of a recovery. Um, everybody getting their wits about them, had a lot going on with Minnesota United. And now we get to welcome in CEO Sherry Ballard. Thank you for joining me today. Sherry, taking time out of your busy schedule. Happy to do it. I think your schedule is probably about as busy as mine. Did you just uh, Did you just land about four minutes ago? No chance, but I did land yesterday morning. It was funny. I was talking to my husband and my daughter last night. And I'm like, well, when I flew out yesterday morning, they're like, that's not, that wasn't yesterday. I'm like, yes, it was. I flew out Sunday morning and I'm, I'm back Monday morning. Like it was yesterday. It's all like, a, it's all a big blur. You know how that goes. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're recovering. I mean, I don't know if we should talk about Monday night football and the Detroit lions because <laughs> the Vikings, you know, are in a little bit of a spot with uh Kirk cousins and the injury, but you've got to, you got to toot your own horn when you can, when you're a Michigan native. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been a long-suffering Detroit Lions fan. So, uh, yes, this season is fun. Although, while I was enjoying the game last night, I looked outside and I saw the snow starting to fall. And it's like, what are we doing? Seriously, <laughs> what are we? What are we doing? Put away the road bike. Get the trainer out, the Peloton, whatever it is. You know, no, like the road bike. The road bike is put away uh, oh. for only for the minute. It's supposed to be like fifty this weekend. So the road bike is taking a little break and. You know, the fat tire bike is ready to get in place. There you so, go. There you go. I get it. Well, people are like, why aren't you ever at the gym this summer? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be in there for the next nine months. Like, I'm going to be outside as much as yeah. possible right now and take advantage of every second of. And now the sun is shining today. So even though it's snowing and windy and it's Halloween and the kids are supposed to trick or treat tonight, at least we got the sun. Exactly. Yeah, I know Addie's like, oh, my costume, I'm not going to be able to like, wear it. I'm like, it's fine. Like, do you remember the blizzard in Halloween of 94, whatever year that was? Like, it is what it it's is. Like, I don't actually, Mom. <laughs> We've talked about it enough. It's like, you know, when you're like, I used to walk uphill both ways, right. four miles to school in the snow. And they're like, we're all, we're all just moments away from becoming our parents. We know. Yeah, that. exactly. Um, but you had a, we had a break from the podcast, but I know you didn't get to take a break. You weren't officially on any sort of a break in any way, shape or form. Some massive announcements coming after the club uh, wrapped up their season. And I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about some of those changes and the process behind it, because we can talk about 2023 and how it went. And we can talk about decision day. We can talk about how that season wrapped up, but focusing forward and looking at what this, this club needs to do to kind of focus on the future and evolve from the past and continue to grow. What was, uh, what was the, thought process behind the change with Manny Lagos, who has been such an integral part of soccer in Minnesota since yeah. day one, since like the beginning of time. What was the thought process behind that change and that shift as you're focusing on other changes as well? Yeah, there's two things we're simultaneously working on. Um, well, there's a lot of things we're simultaneously working on as a club, <laughs> but two, th two things as it relates to your question. One being sort of the club in the biggest and broadest sense of it. We're you know, six years into our existence with a lot of success in a lot of places um, on and off the field that, you know, people that work here are enormously proud of and, and should be. Um, but there's also, a, like with any organization, larger aspirations in all of those areas. And so the, I think the first part of, you know, how does that evolve to Manny is looking broadly at what we need to do in the next phase of the growth of the club from a, a fan perspective, a community perspective, from a you know continuing to grow the business side of the club, um, and you know I've I've worked with Manny now for a couple of years, and he's got skill and passion in all those areas. You know you've you've certainly seen it on the on the community and fan engagement 
side of it, you know, his ability to make soccer accessible to people in really great ways, whether they've spent their whole lives in it or whether they're a relatively new fan, he's, he's got a real gift and talent there, knows the community, um, loves the community, knows a lot of people in the community and knows the business of soccer. And, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, we've had Manny help us in those areas on occasion, um, but it hasn't been his full-time job. And so we haven't really had the ability to completely deploy him there in ways I would like to. One and two, I think Manny, from a personal perspective, and he would he would probably tell you this too. Manny also wants to keep learning and growing as a leader, and he's spent you know the entire time he's been with the club, you know, in sporting predominantly in different roles, and I think sees this as an opportunity too to stretch and have impact not only continued in sporting. We would be stupid not to have Manny's input in what we're doing there, um, but you know to grow and expand um, himself as a leader too and help the club. So that's sort of you know how we got to that one with Manny. Um, you know, I think more more specifically around the sporting part of the business and, you know, what needs to happen there going forward. You know, for sure, that's a bit about Manny's input in there, but there are larger things we, I think, need to deal with as a club there uh, to get to the level we want to in the next phase of our growth. When you look at how Manny can impact and influence now on more of a full-time basis with the community aspect and continuing to just grow, not the club, but soccer in the state. And then of course the connection of the club with soccer in the community. What was the, what was like the number one priority? Do you guys come up with a list where you're like, this is where we need him to focus first. Does he have his own ideas? Is there like a collaboration brainstorming on these are the boxes we need to check when you're talking about how much of an impact Minnesota United can have and continue to have on, on the community and how Manny plays into that. Yeah, I would say there's three primary areas of focus um, and you know how we got to that. Some of that was my own point of view as a leader of the club in terms of where I know we've got work that we want to continue to do and where I know Manny's talents and passion lies. Um, some of it was Manny's input and honestly, some of it was input from people in those other areas where they would like to have more of Manny, mm -hmm. um, but has been a little bit limited based on historically what his roles and responsibilities have been. So uh, I would say a, a little bit of all of that and three primary areas of his focus going forward in terms of buckets. Um, and it won't play out this way because these things never do in roles. But the, uh, the way I would say to think about it is sort of a third, a third, a third, mm -hmm. you know, a third of his time still providing input and guidance um, on the on the competition side of what we're trying to do probably a third on content and community and helping us really engage not only our existing fans, but to reach new fans in various ways. We'll try to use more content for doing that, game day things for doing that, community activities to do that. Uh, and then probably a third of his time on the commercial aspect of that with either you know development of sort of new products, if I could say it that way, and or helping, helping to deepen relationships um, that we have in the community and build new relationships in the community there too. So I would say sort of a third, a third, a third, and then these things will evolve a bit as we get into it. And, um, you know, nobody's job is ever quite that clean, but uh, hopefully it gives you a sense of it. Yeah. Nobody's ever a one trick pony. Everybody's yeah. multitasking and contributing to all different aspects of just about every business these days. And I think that's a bonus because I think when you can, you can't just assume that you know everything about your little area. It's amazing how you can get contributions from others that can, you know, affect it positively. What was Manny's reaction like when you had the conversation with him and how did that go when he learned and, and heard about this possibility of a role change? Manny's um, remarkably resilient, competitive, community I know the competitive part. Loves the club. I swear he argues just to argue. Like when we'd stand on the side of training, he'd bring up one point and he'd like have the opposite, even if he didn't believe it, just for fun of conversation. You know, so all of who Manny is, you know, shows up in these conversations as you would expect. Um, but I would say by and large, you know, when we first started talking about it, it was more questions than anything, you know, him wanting to understand, you know, what I was seeing, what I thought those priorities needed to be for the club, where I saw his talents and passions being able to impact that, you know, what some examples were that we might be able to do together. Um, you know, so it was as you would expect in that sense, you know, questions on the front end to try to understand how I was seeing things input from his view on where he thought the biggest opportunities were as, you know, as the club continues to grow. And he's got views on that. It's not like we've never talked about it or he's not involved in these discussions. I think probably he would tell you, you know, a little bit of, you know, sort of feeling like he's moving away in a bit from something that he feels so passionately about, which is 
the competitive aspect of the club. And I think his number one concern in it was, you know, trying to be clear with me on whether I still saw Manny as having value for the club on the soccer specific and soccer related stuff, or whether this was some kind of message that I don't. And that's, that was a very easy one. I 100% see Manny's value there. Um, and I see it in other places too. And so I think that was sort of the nature of the conversation over time. We've been having the discussion for a little while, so it wasn't a, you know, talk about it on Friday and then make a change on Monday. Mm -hmm. um, and I love what I'm seeing from him right now. I mean, obviously he's helping us with the transition and sporting right now as a full-time job. And we'll keep doing that until we get, you know, the, the new folks in play and named and here and onboarded. Um, but we're also talking about the other elements and he's got great ideas and excitement and he's fully engaged, which I'm really happy about. Speaking of the sporting side, how is that process going? What does that look like? What are the, um, you know, priority one, two, and three there? Because, you know, oftentimes it seems like with clubs and organizations, the sporting director or the technical aspect can be the same as the head coach. The GM can be the same as the head coach. Sometimes there are different roles. Is it yeah. important to find the sporting director before you find the head coach because of the the style and the decisions that could be made roster wise. And then yeah. lastly, with those not being in place yet, how does that affect roster decisions currently as that part of the world doesn't stop contract negotiation? No, no part of the world out. ever stops. Yeah. No part of the world ever stops. They don't sit and wait for us to like twiddle our thumbs and make choices. So how, how is that process going and sort of what's priority one, two, and three there? Yeah. Let me take the first part of it first in terms of, sort of what needs what what needs to happen and what are the you know number one through five priorities. I'll start there and then I'll talk about interim how we're doing things. And I think the next phase of the club competitively, if we're specifically talking about that aspect, I think needs to focus on a few things. Number one is revisiting um, our technical strategy and structure. And that goes a little bit to the point you were just making. Um, with respect to that, we'll separate the roster decisions from the day-to-day -day coaching. So the structure that we will put in sporting will have a, a chief soccer officer and or sporting director, you know, pick your, pick your title, overseeing all of sporting for us. So that'll include the head coach reporting into them. That'll include the, you know, technical aspects of scouting, roster building, roster management reporting in, um, you know, the trainers, strength and conditioning reporting in, the academy and second team reporting in. So a structure where we we truly have a chief soccer officer overseeing all of that. The head coach's job is to obviously collaborate with that person very, very well to be aligned on, you know, style, approach, philosophy. But I think there needs to be a separation between separation of the, power, sort of between the job of winning today and making the players we have today better and communicating well with the players and communicating well across the club, but emphasis on winning today and making the players we have today better and more engaged with the longer term view of the roster, the roster build, and how we do all of that over time. I think we're better served having sort of a, to use your language, a separation of powers there and healthy tensions between those things rather than having that consolidated, if I could say it that way, um, in one area. So the first thing that that needed to happen, I think, was a revisiting of the, the technical strategy and structure. And I've made the decisions to do that and communicated that to people. So we're in the process right now then of hiring the sporting director and the new soccer officer that will come first. And then we'll make the decision on, on and they will make the decision on head coach over time, because I think those two roles in that structure in particular, along with how we think about the technical director or how we handle the technical aspect of that, those three pieces need to work really, really well together. And so there is a sequence to what we're doing here. So I think that's what I would sort of say. First priority is to revisit the structure um, and get the right person in that role um, and hiring that key position. And then I think Real it's quick on that. When, yeah. you know, when you make that decision on the sporting director or chief soccer officer, is that person, is then it your decision, not yours, but like the club's decision on the head coach, or is it the sporting director's dis decision? Do they have input on the coach that they're going to be, 
you know, oftentimes it seems like not that they come to a package deal, but you look at, I've, you know, been done, doing a lot of Cincinnati with Chris Albright yeah. and Pat Noonan, you know, they had worked together. They knew each other. They yeah. had a prior relationship. So is there like a 50, 50, is it a 60, 40, like whose contribution on what the head coach is going to be based on once you've decided? No, I think we'll follow. I mean, we will, fo- I, I, and we will follow the lead of the sporting director on who they think the right person is for our head coach, because there are a number of things that have to be true there. First, I think, and this goes back a bit to your question of priorities. There's a priority around revisiting the technical strategy and structure. There's a priority around then hiring the critical roles in that. There's also a priority in that top role of getting very clear uh, and and creating and clearly communicating a team identity, a style of play, helping to then translate that into what does that mean for the roster? What does that mean for the spend on the roster? What does that mean for our recruiting and scouting? So there is a, a, a significant piece of work to do, I believe, for the next phase of the club in putting clear definition to that identity, style, and approach, and then really driving alignment across all of what we do in sporting, including through the second team and the academy, and making sure that that clarity is evident and how we're going about doing all of those things. And so it is critical that we get the right person in that first. And then these other pieces, I think, follow in sequence. And then when with the timeline, is there like a goal in mind or is it like we're going to get it right? You know, I was I say, mean, the goal, thank you. The goal is to get it right, but to do it at the most you know, effective pace we can. Um, so we're not served by going slow, you know, in a process just for the sake of slowness, which I will not do. I mean, we've been very clear on the structure we want. I'm clear on the various profiles for the sporting director. We're clear right now, although it, it you get stuff all the time, but clear mm-hmm. on candidates, clearly identified, you know, who our top candidates are and working our way through the process. So the most important thing is that we're clear on what we're hiring for, that we do that well, and then we try to do it in the most consolidated time frame we can. Um, but it's, you know, you know, this, it's a, it's a very tight time frame between end of the MLS season and when the guys report in January, uh, for preseason. So it's not an ideal timeline, but the most important thing is that we get it right. We're building the the components that I believe are necessary for the next phase of growth for the club. And we won't serve anybody by doing it quick and badly. Um, so when you, when you, put together sort of your list that you wanted to be clear on and whether you did this as a group or however, and you made, did you put qualities down or when you're looking for an individual for yeah. sporting, like how, how does, what, what are the qualities and the things that you're looking for when you were looking for candidates? And also, did you look at how other MLS teams did it, you know how, and this isn't yeah. a like for like, but like when people are building new stadiums, people came to Allianz Field and said, yeah. how'd you do this? They want to pick and steal things and ideas that work. Did you yeah. do that within the league or what, what were yeah. the So I started with, I mean, in my language for that is putting together a profile. Mm-hmm. So the profile of the kind of person that I think we need in the role and the role I'm talking about here is the sporting director role. Mm-hmm. Um, and that profile has on it, and there's a couple different profiles, but has on it both experiences or things like what has the person done up to this point? Um, and then more about who they are as a leader. So it has, it has both components to it. What do I think the requisite set of experiences are that would be necessary for this person to be successful given what our club needs at this particular point in time? And then what are the leadership attributes and or style of this person in terms of the values of our club, the values of the community, and making sure that those things align. So it started with that. Um, I've obviously got clear views already on the leadership model, which you and I have spent a lot of time talking about um, You know, over the times I've been with the club in terms of what attributes we need as a club there and align more broadly with the values and beliefs we have as a club. So on that side of things, good collaborator, good communicator, you know, somebody who is um, organized, who engages people, who knows that they don't have to be the smartest person in the room on everything, 
like who really knows and believes that getting the best out of every single person in service of something larger than ourselves is what also drives the best performance. That piece I'm, I'm clear on. Um, I did have to do work, honestly, on the other aspects of, okay, what do I think the requisite sets of experiences are here that could be successful for this? Um, and that involved, the, the, the good news in this is there's no shortage of people really who will give you input on things that they have spent the vast majority of their lives in and give you the benefit of their learning if you ask them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I have, I have been doing that and still doing that, but spent a lot of time on the front end of this talking to people, you know, inside the league that I trust, but also people outside the league who I know have perspectives and life experiences on this. Um, got a, asked a lot of questions, tried to listen well, um, and then worked worked our way to, okay, there's probably a couple different profiles of, you know, experience that this person could have had um, that would that would potentially work with us depending on who's in the other roles. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of the process and got it narrowed down to a couple different profiles. Uh, like I said, list of candidates and, and doing the work. When you look at this process so far, and where you're sitting at the moment, would you say that it's gone as well as you thought it could? It's on schedule. You've been pleasantly surprised with the progress. You you know you know two steps forward, one step back. How would you categorize it or characterize it at this point? Um, I would characterize. I'm I'm really pleased with the process. <laughs> uh, I think it's moving at a good pace. I'm most pleased that we're collectively crystal clear on what has to happen in the next phase of our club for us to be successful, for us to win in Minnesota. You know, there are things that are attributes of our club that are not going to be the same as, you know, the coasts or somewhere else. That's, that's, you know, talking about, we're talking about the Detroit lions at the, on the front end of this. I think they're actually in a different sport, a really good example right now of an organization that, got very, very clear on what their identity is, you know, hired a general manager and then a head coach who are aligned on that, who embody it. It works within the context of, you know, Detroit and Michigan and the Midwest and, you know, the identity there and, and have worked their way through building a roster over time that reflects that identity, that style of play. And, you know, that's a, to me, that's a, that's a good right now example of a, of a team that you and I have talked about. So it's, it's. Mm -hmm. you, so you want a coach that's going to cry in post-game press conference. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, some, I think I can probably cover the crying in most, in most cases, although I do, I, I do, I do love. I Dan love Dan. his passion. No, I, love he's just a, I like the authenticity of it. Yes, and I think a yes. lot of people do, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't, I think whether you're a player in a sport, you know, whether you're, you know, working for somebody in some other capacity in life, I think, People know BS when they see it. I really do. And I, 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 I love his authentic authenticity. You know, what you see is what you get. I try to, I try to model the same thing myself, you know, what you see is what you get. Um, and so that, that to me, that's a, that's a good example in a different context, but what I'm pleased about is the level of clarity that we've gotten to inside the club um, with those things needing to be, that clear for our club, that aligned for our club and have it embodied in the people who are in these critical roles. I'm pleased with that. I'm also really pleased with the candidates. Um, and it, you already know this, this is stuff I'm still going to keep learning, but you know, the world of soccer sort of is a small world in certain ways too. Um, it's and so huge, but little at the same time. Yeah. You know, and so getting, getting people, like I said, to provide me input and the benefit of their counsel and wisdom. And then um, getting the the right candidate pool. I'm pleased with how that's gone. So how is the process right now as far as some of the decisions that need to be made with the current roster and yeah. different positions? Yeah. I mean, that's, as we said, the world does not stop. So how is that? How in the world are you all multitasking that? Yeah, the, I think that would be exactly what you would expect. So we have an interim head coach right now in Sean, and I really like what we've seen. I mean, I in certain ways, like I know Sean, but when, you know, when you have a head coach and you have a head coach like Adrian, who is a strong leader, too, and has his view of things, sometimes it's sort of hard to know every single person 
that works with that person in the deepest sense. So part of this too, honestly, is I'm getting to know Sean more as a leader himself and as our interim head coach and what his views are on those things. And I, I really like who I see so far and what I see so far. And he's highly engaged and he's a pro and he's been around a long time. And so he's very relaxed about these things needing to be answered in sequence. And he agrees with the fact that they need to be answered in sequence. So Sean is our interim head coach. So for right now, coaches or decisions that need to be made by a head coach are Sean's. Okay. You know, we have the benefit still of Manny who has spent his whole life in this space. So the work that needs to be done at sort of aligning and making decisions sort of across those functions, Manny is helping to drive that and make sure we've got the right inputs in that. We have Hank Stebbins, who was our assistant technical director, who is now the acting technical director. So Hank is in role and bringing the stuff that needs to be brought to make the decisions. And he certainly has perspectives on that. And then we've got a whole staff of people in sporting who are not the names that everybody knows, Mm -hmm. but who are certainly skilled at their jobs and know how to put the right questions in front of people, the right data in front of people, and then the right people in the rooms to make those calls in the near term. And we're doing that. And I think functioning well in doing it. That said, do I want to do it forever? No, because, you know, people have appropriately a level of anxiety when they're uncertain on, you know, who they're going to work with and for. Um, But like I said, we're going to do this the right way. And in the interim, we're going to be clear with people on who's making what decisions and how they're being made. We'll do that together. We'll make the decisions and then we'll be accountable for the decisions. And you know, we'll move us forward. Looking for a way to get closer to your club? For just $25, Loons fans can join the Preserve, Minnesota United's official season ticket waitlist. Waiting usually isn't fun, but this waitlist comes with benefits. Being a member of the Preserve gives you early access to MNUFC single game tickets, partial season plans, and group tickets, as well as special pre-sales for other marquee events that come to Allianz Field. Visit MNUFC.com preserve to join. I know you're neck deep in the current, but if you had to sort of summarize 2023, now that you have had, you know, a couple of weeks away from the final day, as far as decision day went, how would you sort of reflect on 2023 as a whole? And it doesn't just have to be on the sporting side, but as a club as a whole. I would say on the club, and I'll come back to the sporting question too, but on the club as a whole, I'm really pleased with the year. Um, We made, you know, on on all of those fronts I talked about on the beginning, our fans are unbelievably remarkable. I mean, they they really are of the Midwest and of Minnesota. I mean, loyal to the club, care deeply, you know, show up even when we're not playing great, and also are, are open with their point of view on things, you know, what they love and what they don't love and why. That aspect of it, I'm I'm very happy with. I'm happy with their continued engagement. I'm happy with the fan growth and attendance growth we've had over the years. I'm happy over the year. I'm happy with the way the fan experience has continued to evolve. And I'm happy with the way some of the new, you know, sort of, if I'd say products mm-hmm. um, played out this year, Leagues Cup as an example. Um, I was a fan of the concept of Leagues Cup, but admitted, Leagues Cup, but admittedly, I, it it came off better than I thought it would in year one, you know, for as sort of quickly as that came about operationally and as much work as the clubs and the league had to do on that. Um, I, I thought the first year might not have as much sort of uptick as it did. So I was really happy with that year one, in particular, the way fans engaged in it and the way some of that played out. Um, so that I think those were all pluses. The, the club's continuing to grow. Um, you know, our sponsorships are growing, our revenues are growing. So on the business side of things and the partner side of things, that has continued to grow and deepen. And I love the suite of partners we have right now who we could not do what we do without our corporate partners. We just couldn't. We couldn't in any way, including what we're trying to do in the community. So that's continued to grow and evolve. And I we're 
super fortunate as a club there. And I like what the team has been able to do. And there's aspects of what I like in sporting. Um, you know, we're, we're year two now with a more fulsome academy and, and second team. And I think we're making some progress there. Although I believe, as I said earlier, that has to be much more tightly aligned through with what our first team strategy style of play is, et cetera. So that needs to keep evolving, but we did some good stuff there this year. And we had some times during the season too, where, you know, it was fun and we looked great and, you know, games where it was like, yes, this is who we want to be. Um, but on balance, the the year competitively was disappointing, you know, and everybody, I think, would say that. I think the players would say that, the people at the at the club here would say it, our fans would say it, and I would say it. And it, you know, it ended up driving decisions that I felt like, you know, needed to be made for the club to move to the next phase of of our growth. And based on on sort of some of that conversation or some of what you just said with the fan base and the growth of the club and the corporate part partnerships. And what was your take on as much as you can speak freely about it, the first year of the Apple deal and how did that feel and, and come off? Because we, yeah. you know, as, as we travel around as broadcasters, we get all sorts of feedback from people as far yeah. as whether it's the game time, whether it's yeah. everybody playing at the same time, whether it's not being able to watch it on television and it's, you know, all, all sorts of things. I get that too. Uh, walking, walking through yeah. the concourse on game day. I get it too. So yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> so what's um, your, what's your take on it from a club? Yeah, perspective? my, I, and I can be candid on that. My view on it is overall, I think the Apple deal will be great for MLS. It'll be great for our fans It'll be great for our ability to reach new fans and importantly, to use content to do a better job of storytelling around the sport of soccer, but importantly, also the players where, where that's new fan engagement typically will come that way. It comes with, oh, I've fallen in love with the player. Or I know this player and we, we need the ability to do that and to do that in a more fulsome way than just every individual club's you know, sort of owned and operated channels, if I could say it that way. So, mm -hmm. and Apple is amazing at content. They're great at, you know, the quality of what we're trying to do there and how to engage fans and customers around content. So they'll continue to push, I think, the league and clubs to be better in certain areas. And then we're going to learn together, you know, how to operate this in ways that I think are better and better. So overall, I think it's very good for the sport. It's good for our fans. It's good for the club. If you ask me now, do the same sort for year one. I think there's elements of year one that were big wins. I think the access, every game, everywhere, anywhere in the world, check. I mean, that that's a huge one. And fans having access to all that, I think, is really important. And even for our club, it's allowed us to reach more fans than we were reaching just with our owned and operated and our regional deal. So, that's a that's a check, and I think that will continue to grow. I think in terms of sort of picture quality, technical quality of the of the matches and what that looks like, I think that's been very good as well. Um, I think the overall quality, generally speaking, fans have been positive about that. Now you know this because I've said it. Our fans are disproportionately irritated that it's not you and Cal calling our games anymore. Um, and so that I, I hear that as pro honestly, like the number one piece of feedback I get is irritation about the fact that we don't have you guys still calling our games. You would know this better than I do, but there probably is an opportunity over time to really be thinking about, you know, which broadcasters are paired with which games and how frequently you see the same team versus, you know, you're constantly sorting the learning new teams, et cetera. That's not that's not my swim lane, but I, there's probably a question mark in my mind about how you really grow affinity with clubs where the broadcasters themselves know the backstory, they know the players, they can really give you more inside scoop than you might be able to otherwise do that I think is a question mark. To your point about, I understand the logic on all games starting at the same time, um, but yeah, I hear that from fans too, that the start time can be late for, especially for families and kids. And for people, it might mean they're actually consuming less soccer yeah. because they're all on at the same time. Whereas yeah. when they're spread out, you watch more games. So I think those kinds of things I've definitely heard from fans too. And there's they're good, there's good process for providing our input on it. And this is year one of something that is a 
way long-term deals. So my expectation would be like, like with the club, when we do something new, we evolve it every year and we have to keep getting better. And my expectation would be the same would be true with, with the league, with the clubs and with the relationship with Apple. What's your view on it? I mean, you're in it in a way different way than I am. You know, what's your sense of it? Well, we get, I, I feel like we kind of have the same sort of feedback that we get from people as far as, you know, people it, it's the fan base can be kind of divided because they don't want yeah. homers. Right. right. Yeah, but yeah. They want people that know this, the in-depth stuff. Totally. And when we're getting a, a, assigned a different team every week or a different game every week, there's just no possible way that we could be as in-depth as we were with Minnesota where we're at training every day. Yeah. Yeah. So you are as an, as a broadcaster trying to deep dive as much as possible as you can every week, I can rewatch the last three games of, Red Bull, you know, and I can really listen to all the post-match interviews and the midweek availability and all that. And we do our coaches calls and we have talked to players, but like, if you're not there every day, you just are never going to know what you did when you were, each of us were embedded with a club. And, you know, and that was for every, every team, every team had their own broadcaster. So that's just never going to happen. I don't think, even if they were like, okay, you're going to cover a third of Minnesota's games and, yeah, you know, we're going to cover a third of Atlanta's games because that's where Kevin's based. Right. Yeah. Like, I just I just don't think you're going to get that in this way. And it's more the national kind of broadcast feel, which yeah. is what yeah. every other yeah. sport does. Well, it's more like yeah. NFL, I should say. It's not yeah. really like any of the other sports because they still have local and national like the yeah. NBA or NHL or whatever. So, yeah, that was probably the big thing I heard the most. Is just like and and we even feel that way as broadcasters, like you feel pressure because you're trying to give you know you're trying to do the game proper service you're trying to tell the stories you're trying to know everything why are they playing this way why did they make this change why but if you're not there every day sometimes it's it's hard to know yeah yeah but i would say but you know i mean i would say by and large positive and i think Mm -hmm. longer term will be really positive for for the sport yes and and internationally internationally which is what this game of soccer is is i think it's i just i remember distinctly one of the games on doing the pregame show on the concourse last year and robin lewis dad coming up to us and going oh thank god i don't have to stream it illegally anymore yeah you know like i can just watch the game so like from an international perspective the amount of players that have said my family lives in africa and now they can watch every game like so i just think they're you know or more easily watch the games i think that is a huge piece of it in growing this sport and continuing to evolve it and in a global scale mls not just yeah i'll tell too. you what has helped in my life so kind of be my last last um apple mls bigger picture question and point is i mean part of growing this game is getting players like Lionel messi who wins you yeah. know wins the ballon d'or yesterday and, and and seeing him walk up and they're fonting him. And the first thing it says is inner Miami, Argentina, you know, under his name. Like, I feel right. like that in of itself. I mean, I saw Don Garber in the picture with David Beckham behind him, like trailing yeah. along. I'm like, this guy is on cloud nine right now. You know, I mean, if yeah. you're Don Garber yeah. and you're walking up at this ceremony and you're walking alongside Beckham and behind Messi and, and you know that it's connected with MLS how did how was the view i mean we hear all the clubs but what was your view on that from a league perspective and what this does to have well, a, from a if i even started with from a fan perspective yeah. i think it's absolutely 100% positive for mls so i i don't think there's a counter argument honestly that from a fan perspective it's bad for mls i mean my 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 mom knows who Lionel Messi is, and my you know my mom <laughs> d- doesn't you know she doesn't know she doesn't know our full roster, but she she knows yeah. Messi, mm-hmm. and I think and I think broadening the fan base, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think broadening the fan base includes having players that people are super interested in, and are super interested in following, and you know I, I understand this is a disputable fact, but he's the best that's ever played, and yeah. and he's here. And so I think that, you know, again, massive check plus. And I think the the interest around it, the fan engagement around it, you see that and saw it in every single metric. You saw it in terms of, and not just for Miami, you know, you see it in terms of things that the league is putting out that, you know, now has a much larger, larger fan base to it than what it had before. And so that to me uh, is, uh, it's not really arguable. I think the only 
thing you sort of have to be careful of in that is making sure that you don't sort of get it flipped all the way over where you now have a person who becomes the story and is the whole story mm -hmm. rather than keeping the person contextualized in more broadly what you're trying to do. So I think you have to sort of make sure that elements of the plot line don't become the plot line. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, that that is not great for the league or for any story. And I think that's sort of a hard thing to balance because he 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 is so great. He is so interesting, both on and off the field. And so many people are interested in it. And so you sort of got to balance like feeding their interests, but also making sure it doesn't get so far out on its own that you lose the rest of the story, you know, which is the broader story of soccer, soccer in the U.S. And that involves more people than him, obviously. But I think by and large, very positive for the league. Well, and I, I think the other piece of that, too, is we saw this in a lot of cities that we heard in, you know, when he was coming to town is you also don't want to like somehow price out the people that have been so yeah. committed to That's this tough. league yeah. since day one. The the people that have been around since 96 and have been so loyal that you don't want and you're trying to welcome these new fans. Yeah. But you're also trying to not price out and push out the people that have been here since day one, ups and downs, thick and thin. Yep. Every club, hard times. You know, and so you want that to still be accessible to those people who have been here and not just be like bounced because the tickets are 400 bucks a piece, you know? And so it's, yeah, I mean, you're always balance to that point. You're 100% right. And that's a really good public example of the things that, you know, we're dealing with all the time. And well, you do it in any business you're dealing with it, but we deal with it in the business of sports too, you know, which is you're, you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, how you simultaneously you know, engage and respect your fans and, you know, make sure that what you're delivering to them versus what they're paying for it mm -hmm. is a value to them. I mean, so you're constantly trying to work the value equation to make sure that what you're giving them and what they're spending their hard-earned money on, they, they walk away going, that is value for my money. Like mm -hmm. that's core to any consumer it doesn't matter if it's sports, but that's core to what you you really have to be thinking about all the time. And you can't get too far away from that. But you're also trying to figure out simultaneously how you make the economics of whatever you do sustainable over time so that you keep having the ability to do that for your fans and for your people. And that you don't, and we've seen that in sports too, where it's not, we something comes out and people are really excited about, but it's not economically sustainable. Mm -hmm. And everybody's pissed off because they think people should just put money into it and make it work. But the reality of the world is it doesn't it doesn't work that way over time. You have to mm -hmm. you got to be thoughtful about those things. So you're balancing those things. And then you're also balancing, to your point, like bringing in a bunch of new people, which you really need to grow the sport to make it sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so that's an equation you're always trying to deal with in these jobs. And this like pinpoint example of it is just a blazingly public and obvious one where you got to sort of sort your way through how you balance all those things. And yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think but you're right. You can't in the process completely yep. walk away from, nor should you, it's, it's morally, you shouldn't mm -hmm. walk away from your existing fans and your existing fan base and your season ticket members, mm -hmm. you know, who have for our club, you know, who have built the club and sustained us even in really difficult times. So you've looked at 2024. You're wondering if Miami's <laughs> on the schedule. <laughs> we don't get the schedule yet, as you know. So we I'm won't sure know until- everybody wants a piece of that pie, don't they? Trust me. We would. <laughs> I was just going to say, now all that said, I would very much like to be tasked along with our team of trying to figure out how we would do that as a club when we host right. in Miami. It's a um, good problem to have. It's like having the exactly. All-Star game. It's a good That's problem right. to have. High, high grade problem, as we call it. So we won't yeah. know until December- um, you know, we are one of, uh, you know, a handful, I think, of probably Western Conference clubs who have not hosted uh, Miami at home. So I think we would we would be on the docket here in the next year or two anyway. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I know. I feel, you know, we'll put in a little plug for it. Um, and lastly, I just want to ask you um, and, and sort of on the messy point as far as just pure joy in in his involvement in coming to the league, maybe for the right reasons at the right time. And I said yeah. this from day one, when he came on the field and scored that goal and went straight over to his family, Epic, you know, I mean, Epic and like doing something for the right reasons yeah. at this point in his life. And I don't know him personally at yeah, all. I don't either. Really. 
But yeah. just from the outward appearance of his choosing to come to this league at this time and saying, okay, like my family's been drug around the world and, and followed me and, and done this and that. And now here we get to come here and I get to be happy and I can hug my wife and kids after the game. And you're somebody who can relate to that in your current role of being able to be with your crew at games and experience those moments. Like what, what do you think that part of it even does for the sport and for soccer in the way it, it's, it's viewed? You know, I don't know. I mean, that's sort of, I don't know him either at all. Um, but that's my sort of my take on it too. Just like from a, more from a fan perspective, honestly, on this one, it's not like I have any inside soccer info on this one. Um, but watching somebody, somebody told me a long time ago that life gets really, really interesting. Once your choices evolve beyond, you know, can I pay my bills? Mm. And sometimes our lives don't evolve beyond that. But I think it's why when you like see sports figures as an example or people who, you, you know, you sort of know have financially made it, mm -hmm. why their choices become even more interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do? And I think that's a part of what's behind this with, I mean, obviously there's a lot of this, that's, he's the best player that's ever, you know, walked the face of the earth. But I think there's a real interest in a choice for somebody at this phase in his life when he can sort of do it wherever he wants to do it mm -hmm. to prioritize what he's, what he appears to be prioritizing mm -hmm. that I personally find super attractive. Mm -hmm. And that I think other people do too. Cause I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before that I think one of the harder plot lines would be, you know, to be an athlete and, you know, have your whole identity sort of tied up in being an athlete and then having your pro career be done. And then what are you going to do for the rest of your life in, in things that bring you joy and meaning and allow you to serve something larger than yourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And how do you make those choices once you're sort of in a different place in your life? And yeah, I personally, I find it extremely attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough at this stage in my life and have experienced enough to know that sort of on the tail end of whatever it is we're doing for a living, even if it's, you know, playing professional soccer, that once you're on the tail end of that and you sort of look back on it, it, it's all about the relationships, the experience, who you did it with, um, and whether you feel like you did anything meaningful. And the doing something meaningful always comes from doing it with other people and importantly, for other people. And so in that respect, if that's why he's doing it and it is what it appears, um, I'm sure there's other elements of what he's trying to do in his post-soccer life too, but he certainly seems to be enjoying it. And to me, he's bringing joy to a lot of other people while he's doing it. And so good on him. That's what I would Last say. Ask Grace, ask anybody in social, like, what gets the most hits? It's Michael Boxel's kids playing on the field. It's Will Trapp's kids playing on yeah. the field. It's anything that is, like, family and kid related. And, like, it's just – that's that's what I think it just pulls at people's heartstrings. Yeah. And, Bobby, my husband hates it when I say it, but it's, like, what fills your cup? You know, you got to find – what that is. And I think that, um, a lot of these guys, it, it just, you know, makes them more real to people, you know, well, and to what you're saying, even with your two examples with Will and with Michael, that it's, it's their kids, but it's also the fact that fans know it's real. Mm -hmm. Like th those two guys, when they're not on the pitch, yeah, that is what they are being mm -hmm. a dad and having a family is a significant part with those two. Mm -hmm. of what their broader identity beyond being a soccer player is. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, th I think there's an element of that. Like I said, you know, people, people know what's authentic and they know what's not. Mm -hmm. And I think when they watch that for our club and they watch those, I mean, they, they know it's real. Mm -hmm. They know it's real. Yeah, I totally agree. I, uh, well, and like I said, it's the same thing when we see your crew at the games and and the energy and the vibe and and the passion. Whether you guys yeah, there, are there's not a lot that, yeah, or... I mean, it's it's sort of there's not a lot that brings me more joy, honestly, than uh, than experiencing sports with the people I love. You know, our our grandkids love it, our kids love it, our friends love it. Um, and I'm around, you know, I'm around people like you who have spent your life in it and I'm learning and I'm growing and we're trying to do something meaningful for the community. And it's not easy, you know, and all those things, at least in my life experience combined together tend to, 
tend to be an equation for happiness, even in the moments when it's really hard. It's funny because when we were in the midst of the conversation earlier, I was thinking, I wonder if five years ago she ever thought she'd be using this kind of a language language on a call. Like, you know, when you're talking about the sporting side and and rosters and salaries, you know what I mean? Just like it. it no, I wouldn't have. Never know. There's ago. no linear path. You know, you just never know where you're going to end up. No, you don't. I mean, I wouldn't though five years ago, but if you'd asked me 30, whether I would have <laughs> said some of the same stuff I was saying while I was at Best Buy, I would have said I couldn't imagine that either, you know? It's sort of more about, it's more about what you already know. You know, it's about deciding there's some mission that you care a lot about with a bunch of people that you really enjoy Mm -hmm. and that's hard uh, Mm -hmm. and then trying to figure it out together. And this certainly has this, this story certainly has all of that. That's for sure. It's the red socks. That's (laughs) why we sell out. The teams are red. (laughs) I don't know. More red socks. Maybe that was a little harbinger of things to come. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sherry. I appreciate you taking the time. I'll let you get back to it. I'm going to bask in the sunshine over here for five minutes before I go to go to school pickup. What's her what's her Halloween costume tonight? That's the most important question. So she wants she's going to be a zombie bride. Like, I don't know what happened. You know, you go from I asked Cal what his little girl Lily was going to be. She's going to be like a ladybug or a butterfly or oh no, it was a giraffe, I think. I'm like, oh, just that's because that's because her parents are still deciding for her because she's still a little shorty. Exactly. I'm sure you're not deciding. Yeah, no, I know. We went from like. I don't know. I feel like we slowly navigated from like a ladybug to one kind of a witch to another kind of witch to now a zombie bride. And she wants like blood coming out of play. I'm like, okay, I love it. whatever, whatever. Love like, it. you know, you got to go with it. Experience your own individual style. So perfect. All good. I was, I was okay with that. It wasn't in the Barbie category. Yeah. A lot I, well, of Barbie like, going on this year. Actually, after this year, Barbie's probably okay too. But I sort of like, I sort of like the complicated nature of the character she's chosen. So you got a little zombie in there. You got a little bride in there. Got a kind little bit of where that came from. Blood and grit in there. I sort of, <laughs> I sort of like it. I think it says a lot about her identity is coming along quite nicely, Kendra. Yeah. Good job to I, you I, and Bobby. A little feistiness in her, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks, Sherry. Appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure we'll catch up again, uh, maybe after a lot of these decisions are made. And yeah, uh, gosh, it'll be preseason before we know it. I mean, January will be here before we I know, know. We're flipping that script. So thank you. It's for good to see you. Though. Obviously, I, I miss having you around here every day. It's good to see you. Yes. Good to see you as well. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Sound of the Loons. Tune again. Tune in again next week.